Yeah, good, good. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what keeps you young, right? Like, put on, maybe. Put on, put on your best dress and get out to the goth club and you will live yeah. forever. I mean, that's advice for everybody. This is Beers with Talos. Threats, beers, and mouths of boys. Welcome or welcome back. This is Beers with Talos, episode 124. Today is July 22nd, 2022. I'm joined as usual by Matt only and Liz Waddell, and we are joined special. We're thrilled to have Ashley Benz join us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Ashley is on my team, actually, here in Talos, and we have some interesting stuff that we want to talk about that you are going to be talking about at Black Hat, but we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. First up, we're going to go around the table and see what's what. Actually, you know what? I'll go first, Matt, because I think you're still ruminating down there. You're brooding on something that I think you're going to unleash on us. I'm not sure. It's just on, I mean, just on everything. Well. It's a solid perma brood. <laughs> and that starts Matt Olney's emo phase. It does not no, start. Yeah, that's, no way that's starts. been going on for a while. <laughs> Actually, I, I had to have a long conversation with Matt one time about the difference between, um, like, Mitch being like Mitch's punk rock phase and Mitch's what he called emo phase. I was simply working at a goth mainly bar. had to do with his mesh <laughs> shirt that he was wearing. Was it was it also was it a guy liner phase? His oh oh 100%. no, it was, it was much worse than that. Actually, there was yeah yeah it was much worse than that. You say worse or I say better? I mean it, it was, was actually much more fabulous amazing. than that. Is actually what it was fabulous. So there was, uh, I used to work at a bar that had a goth night, and uh, a friend of ours, Gia, would come in and do the bartender's makeup for goth night, but she would always have a theme to the makeup, right? So, like, she would come in one night and be like, we're all doing Clockwork Orange tonight, and, like, you know, do, like, something like Clockwork Orange thing. One night... Do not get close to my eyes when you say we're doing <laughs> Clockwork Orange Down tonight. Down with the ultraviolence. Uh... Then, like, one night she would come, like, she was like, David Bowie. Everybody's a different David Bowie tonight. Oh, I want to do great. David I Bowie I called night. dibs on Ziggy Stardust, like, super quick. Like, I was like, yes, that's me. Let's do it. And, uh... Be the white dude. Yeah, no, that was, that was a good time, though. There's, there are lots of pictures that do exist someplace. I need them. Of... I need them now. Mesh shirts. You're not getting Big, them. like, we'll weird talk about bat and screw necklaces with pentagrams <gasps> and yes. a whole nine. There's a whole, it was this a lot. Is, yeah, it this is the lot. best birthday present I could have ever gotten. So thank you. Let's do, no, let's do an all goth round table and then a second round table. Cause I have a goth all story right. to tell. Matt, all depressingly. Right, so my goth bar story. Tragically, you are up next. And we are all very morose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, woe is us. <laughs> so, uh, so when I was going through my selling magic cards to play laser tag phase, which means I had. No, right. that was like your late twenties, right? Early was that? <laughs> early mid twenties. Okay, we would go down to DC. I don't remember the name of the bar. Every now and then for the goth night down there. And one one year, one time I went down there, and I wore this like Uncle Sam hat, like this foamy, like it was like like two feet tall. And so I'm standing there. This is just all. This is is a story on how absolutely clueless I am. So this was in my early 20s and so this guy kind of comes up to me and sort of like bumps into me and I'm like oh hey it's cool man it's cool it's cool he's like oh 
nice hat. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's cool, thanks, man. I like your hat. I'm like, okay. And so he stands there kind of awkwardly for like a, a few seconds and then like walks off. And so this was uh, very much an alternative lifestyle sort of bar. Fast forward, now I'm 32 years old. I am driving to Reston, where my job was at the time, from Columbia, Maryland. So it's like an hour and a half drive. And all of a sudden, I have this recollection of this event. And I'm like, holy <laughs> he was hitting on me, and I'm <laughs> too dumb to know it. <laughs> like 12 years <laughs> after it happened. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I'm a flat idiot. And this doesn't idiot. go, like, forever? Yeah. yeah. No, no, this goes for, like, Every human who has ever hit on a dude, especially a dude in his 20s, we remembered it and we realized you were hitting it usually a decade late. Is like, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I, I 100% hear every word of what you're saying, Matt, and can. <laughs> oh, Ashley, do you, have a, do, do you have a goth roundtable contribution or would you like to go to our dark queen, Liz, to close this out and try again? My only real goth character trait, I think, is that I collect bones and bone art, mostly skulls. I got this one recently from a local artist in Baltimore, so I don't really look goth from the exterior, but I, I guess low-key, maybe like a nature goth. Ashley is goth AF. She is goth AF, and you just don't know it. She is so creepy. Those are actual bones. Like, this isn't like, I like cute little skull pins. Like, Besides the vertebrae that you just showed us that you're growing flowers right. out of. <laughs> There's like baby's breath coming out of vertebrae. Yeah. Like that is. I think it's gorgeous. Oh, that's no, pretty goth. No, that's that's up that, there. That'll do. No, that's, you're, yeah. you're there. You, you hit this, you yeah. hit the mark. All right, Liz. How, what's going on? So, <laughs> this may be the best round table we've ever done, guys. Well, actually, my bones are in the other room. I do have, I also have bones. In my bone room. In her room. bone room. Just going to let that go. And so I was trying to think, I'm like, going back through the goth, like recycling through goth clubs in my head, like through different cities and different times. Like there's the old Ohms in Austin, which was like one of the oldest, and the castle, uh, the church in Dallas. But since Mitch is in Tampa, I'm going to Tampa yeah, I know you're going. and going to the castle. Because oh, yeah. when I lived in Sarasota, Florida in my early 20s, not a good town to live in in your early 20s. Hell no. Just saying, there are some cool nerd, like art, the art schools there, so some cool right. kids, but otherwise, 90 years old people. You're solidly 60 yeah. years under the age of the average resident. Yeah, so every week on Sunday, I think it was Sunday, whatever night it was, we would drive up to goth night, at, well, goth and 80s night at the castle, and that was just, it was like an hour and a half, but it was worth it, and then someone, you know, had to drive back, but other story. But so, you know, we're there, and we're dancing around, I look to my right, I'm like, that is Steve Gutenberg. So I danced at a goth night with Steve Gutenberg in Tampa. That's my goth story. All right. So do we want to go back and do another round table? Or are we just going to call like, that's the I best think, round I table think I think good. we ever did. We should just let it stand, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't think we, we should push it. So I want to just, let's just jump right into the meat of the show then. Obviously, we have a guest on today. Ashley, uh, I'll give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself, give a little background here in just a second. But we brought Ashley on today 
She submitted a talk that she's going to be doing at Black Hat in the booth, in the Cisco Secure booth. Uh, you know, there'll be a, you can come find us there, right in the middle of the show floor. Pretty easy to see, huge Talos and Cisco signage everywhere. We'll have a large in-booth theater. One of the talks we'll be giving in that theater uh, will be Ashley talking about data privacy in a post-Roe versus Wade world. Obviously, there's a lot of implications of these kind of decisions, and I think it's going to be great to take a look at this from a, from a data privacy perspective, from a security perspective. Uh, so, Ashley, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do uh, on the team, your background, and then we can just jump right into what we're going to talk about today, data privacy in a Roe versus Wade world. Yeah, um, I have a, a bit of an unusual background. I actually did not uh, do anything related to computers or computer security in school. Uh, I did computational astrophysics and then realized that that was not actually the career path I wanted to continue down. Uh, so I started a career in security sort of by accident. And since that point, I've pivoted through detection and response roles. I've also um, worked in uh, the startup space on threat intelligence products, uh, being able to build out an intelligence team and a program from the ground up. I've spent a number of years in threat hunting uh, across a, a range of different data sets from different security products. Uh, and I've recently rejoined Talos actually uh, doing something completely different, uh, trying to sort of merge my business background. I have an MBA with my security background. And so I'm doing a, a bit of a hybrid of data science with uh, security work, trying to drive the ways that Talos uses its telemetry to sort of match or support uh, the greater Cisco business needs. When I am interfacing with things that we're doing or that are pretty important, uh, at least as far as our team is concerned, it's usually something that I'm working on with Ashley. Or you have to go to Ashley to get like, the good data. Like She has a very important, become a very important person uh, in terms of all of our data and, and how we interface with our portfolio. But you uh, submitted this talk uh, on data privacy in a post-Roe versus Wade world. And there was immediately a little bit of pushback. Like People were like, oh, this sounds kind of political and everything. But you, that's absolutely not the angle this talk takes, um, you know, I, despite what we may end up discussing here today. Like the, it, it was interesting to look through the outline of the talk and the slides and see that like, this is, um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people have considered the data privacy and security implications of some of these things that are political decisions, and what, but what that means you know, rolling downhill from there. Um, do you want to kind of fill us in on some of the broad strokes? So there are there are obvious political implications to this, and I think that that's what a lot of uh, discourse to this point has focused on. But I think something that has been overshadowed or overlooked by um, the discussion until now is the privacy implications. Um, and actually, in the, the original ruling, there's language, uh, if you read the, the Roe v. Wade uh, ruling, that describes the use of the 14th Amendment and the interpretation of the 14th Amendment uh, to account for a right to privacy. And so now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, uh, it, it is concerning uh, from a data privacy standpoint, uh, particularly around the use of health data that stems from uh, health tracking apps. And so sort of concurrently as, um, you know, I would say in the, in the last 10 years, as we've seen the rise in use of these apps, uh, these apps house data that consists of everything from 
where you're working out and when, uh, what types of workouts you're doing. Maybe you keep like track of your heart rate or your uh, resting heart rate or like blood pressure, something like that. in one of these apps, uh, Apple Watch, we have a lot of wearables that track data like that. And then even in some of the built-in native health apps on, on people's phones, there are things like period trackers or sexual activity trackers. These sets of data contain information that's rather sensitive. And so there is a lot of health information out there uh, that's sort of tangentially related to the overturn of Roe v. Wade because the use of that data is actually relatively unregulated. And so although there is a lot of discussion about the political implications, it's also very concerning from a a health data privacy standpoint because these applications are so widely used uh, and it can be used in really dangerous ways against people. I guess the user base of health tracking apps, of wearables, like, you know, wearable technology, probably only increased over the course of, like, the pandemic and everything. I mean, everybody just got bored and, like, like oh, I'm going to start tracking my sleep now. That's got to be, like, 20, 25% of the adult population now, right, that are at least in some way measuring or have, like, some kind of health tracking app connected to them that is producing the data that you're talking about. Uh, I know specifically there's there are specific women's health apps as well, and I, I have no idea what the user base of those looks like, but I, I would assume that's probably a major source of, of the data that you're talking about that we need to be careful with. You know, the, there are a lot of these applications that are focused on women and women's health, but there are other health applications that are used by everyone, regardless of gender. And so a particularly concerning source of data uh, in my opinion, would be if you're if your doctor or maybe you have like a, a therapist or a mental health professional in your life uh, is using an application that stores things like uh, personality uh, testing or any sort of diagnoses information, uh, then that also is governed under a different set of laws than traditional medical records. And so the the sensitivity of this data has certainly increased, but also uh, it does affect everyone, even if you would consider yourself as maybe having like nothing to hide or or being a person who, you know, doesn't fall under the mold of, you know, someone who Roe would traditionally affect. You know, it's also it's also somewhat concerning. There are interesting ways that this data has been overlaid uh, with other data sets. And so something that I saw recently that worried me was a third party data, data aggregator who had overlaid location data to the point where they released personal information or selling information that could be used to identify people that had spent a significant amount of time near a planned parenthood. Uh, and so that type of of data is particularly concerning because when you start to correlate, you know, maybe you have uh, location data from one data set, maybe you have um, health data from another data set, then it starts to to be able to be used to extrapolate something about a person's uh, medical history, even if there is no direct medical record. So I think the first question somebody, somebody would be like is, well, isn't that covered under HIPAA? So why is this not the same same protected yeah. as it is under HIPAA? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, and you know, full disclosure, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a, a law enforcement officer. Uh, that's not my my purview. But it's interesting that there's actual wording, and let me read a quote here. A direct quote from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services says that the HIPAA rules do not impose any restrictions on how an individual or the individual's designee, such as an app, may use the health information that has been disclosed pursuant to the individual's right of access. And so what that means is a, it's a really a flowery way to say that because you've given permission for this app to house your data, uh, they're actually able to use it in ways that you not, may not be aware of or have to directly consent to. And so, you know, you may 
not be as directly protected as you would hope or you would think. Would that also be, so, and again, Ashley's not a lawyer, but I just know she's done some, some research into the topic. Uh, would it require a warrant to get my information out of uh, what I put into the app? You know, even outside of legality, uh, the fact that these applications have this data is concerning because even if, you know, a warrant, a warrant weren't involved, uh, these uh, groups of data can actually be breached or exploited uh, if someone is looking to get into that regardless of, you know, legality. And so a, a couple of big breaches that I can think of the last couple of years are Strava. Uh, that was location data of runs. Uh, MyFitnessPal was another one. I think they actually were breached twice in recent years. Uh, and so MyFitnessPal, uh, you may think, you know, this is just benign. It just stores like what I'm eating. But it, it could be sensitive because MyFitnessPal has a feature where you can store photos of your body for progress if you're looking to track changes in your appearance. And, you know, those pictures maybe aren't the type that you want released. You know, and it could be that other more sensitive data centers are breached as well. Maybe you have, again, that mental health tracking app. If your provider is using one of those, then that information could be stolen. And we frequently see that kind of information being sold on, on various uh, websites, pretty easily accessible to anyone who wants it. Obviously, you know, I have my tinfoil hat on and the government is out to get everybody. Um, but, you know, one of the things like when you have biometrics on your phone, if you get pulled over, uh, so you think it actually use your biometrics to open a phone and don't need a warrant or anything like that. So in my mind, I'm like, that means, you know, all those apps in there. Additionally, like I was going to a Planned Parenthood you get a no good for nothing cop, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of good for good for something cops. I'm going to say you got a bad one and they just use that as a, a way to further, you know, whatever they want to do. But still like the idea that there isn't an additional privacy barrier in place and afterwards I could go back and say, this was wrong what you did, but according to what I'm hearing, probably not. Yeah, obviously, like, you know, there's 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 a way to say, you know, I, I won't use any health tracking apps or I will not use health tracking wearables that are, you know, going to put this, create this data stream. Um, but, I mean, outside of the Luddite method, how else can somebody, you know, protect themselves? How can somebody who does have an interest in tracking their basic health parameters uh, or any of their other data that, I mean, it's 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 perfectly within their own purview to collect on themselves, what can they do to help secure that? You know, these apps are awesome. And I think that to, to fully cut technology out of your life is probably not something that most people are, can do or would want to do. I use some of these apps myself. I think that being able to track data is beautiful and it really is helpful for a lot of people. But what I would encourage you to do if you're using these applications is really consider your potential risk. So if you're someone who uh, maybe identifies as a non-traditional uh, sexual orientation or you have other elements about your lifestyle that are not uh, traditional that you're worried could be used against you or could otherwise create problems in your life, then really stop to think, you know, what about my data that I'm storing in these apps could be used against me? And I think... When you stop and think about that, maybe you do a quick mapping. You know, I, I track my mental health uh, and I, I answer questions that I consider to be sensitive. I wouldn't want everyone to know about me. Uh, maybe you also track like your location data. Most of your apps know where you are. You know, that that could potentially be a problem if that was released. And so really stopping to consider the ways that you're using these apps uh, and make sure that it lines with your risk and that you're okay with the level of risk that you're assuming is one way to sort of make sure that your usage aligns with um, your own personal risk. 
I would add to that if you were ever in a place where, uh, and I, I remember being told this, uh, like as a trick coming like back through customs and whatever. If you're ever in a position that you're concerned about bio, being forced to use biometrics on your phone, I'm not sure what the Android solution is, but I know on an iPhone you hit your power button five times and it turns off biometrics and goes to passcode only. Mm. Pro tip. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Because I believe at that time the ruling was like you couldn't be forced to provide a passcode, but they could make you use your fingerprint or your face or whatever. I just want to track my period. Like, why can't I? I just want to track my goddamn period. Like, I, I need to know when I'm going to have PMS and be crying and wh whether or not things are off or if I'm pregnant, which is the reason why it's a bad idea to track your period. Oh, this is stupid. It's so stupid. I mean, we started off on such a high note, too. My, my final question is, what are some of the resources that folks can use or could reach out to? I'm, I'm quite sure there are many people uh, doing lots of research on this at the moment. Uh, you know, it's only an issue that affects half the population. Something that I really like is a, what is they call it, a DIY guide to feminist cybersecurity. It's a group called Hack Blossom. They have really beautiful infographics and information for people who are looking to secure their digital footprint. And, you know, they brand themselves as being feminist cybersecurity, but I would argue, you know, feminism is for everyone. And if you're any kind of marginalized group or just someone who's looking to secure uh, their online footprint, then that's an awesome place to go. Another one I really like is called the Digital Defense Fund. And so if you're someone who wants to volunteer around this cause with respect to data privacy in the health world, uh, or someone who wants to learn more about how to secure their online footprint, then that's definitely a, a good place to go. I would also recommend for privacy, <clears throat> EFF. They also are doing a lot in this space. I think, and I think, I'm just over here being really angry for a moment as well. I've been kind of quiet. Look, if you are in the world that we're in today, if you, if you in any way, whether it's through your sexual identity or your preference for hobbies or, or your interests or, or whatever, if you in any way sway away from what anyone in power in your location thinks is the norm, this applies to you. So while, while some of the, I can tell you if you're not part of this community, of the security community, there are a lot of people in the security community who just will not use SMS messaging. They will only talk to you on Signal. Um, they won't use Twitter direct messaging. They won't use anything but Signal. And, and for a long time, you know, you, you would have thought these people were we're on the fringe of you know you're 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 being dramatic or whatever else, but I think what we've what we've seen in the past five six years is the tone of society can change very quickly, um, and data that today doesn't put you at risk might put you at risk tomorrow, um, or you might have to move someplace for your job or for your spouse or because you're. 15 and you don't have anything to say about the matter and your parents are taking you to this new place where suddenly it does matter. If you're in these groups or if you're a parent where, where you're actually thinking about, about raising kids in, in the world that we're, we're entering, you need to think about your entire data footprint and you need to think about what the realities of possible are in relation to that data footprint. One of the things that we got to do uh, at Talos a few years ago was uh, assist in an investigation, uh, a police investigation. As part of that, we worked with them on on helping them pull data 
from YouTube and some other uh, sources. And it was astonishing what was available with legal force to, to turn over. Things that you delete aren't deleted. They're just not shown. So it's still available. And, and when you came in, where you came from, how long you were on is, is data that's just routinely captured and is available not only to legal authorities, but to someone who works at that, that organization or someone who has illicit access to that organization. Or in some cases, you know, they just share this data. Some of the location data is just frivolously shared out there. As a parent of two boys, one of the things that I did that day, I came home and I said, let me tell you what I did today. And it's just amazing what is, what you have to think about now that we didn't have to think about as kids. I agree with that 100%. And the thing is, like, it doesn't matter. Um, there's a common refrain that I often hear you know, that around these kind of conversations that is, uh, well, I don't have anything to hide. What do I care? Uh, and on top of just being like an appalling statement, because you know what? I mean, first and foremost, everybody has something to hide. And it's really not even a question of like, I didn't do anything illegal, but it's always a question of context, right? Like, I mean, any bit of information about your life, your health data, uh, where you were and when you were there, missing just the tiniest bit of context can be made to seem, at the very least, mighty embarrassing, if nothing else. Well, that's right. That's not even the, it's not even a morally, like, acceptable right. statement, right? Sure, or congratulations that you're in a privileged place right. where you're a white male, heterosexual, married, faithful, you know, go to church person. Yeah. You know, congratulations that you abide by all the social norms and you don't have to worry about someone judging yeah. you. There are millions of people in this there country that don't have there that. I mean, it's, it's your right to have your, your privacy protected. It's just a right. It doesn't matter if you have anything to hide or not. It's your right. To a certain degree, yes. I mean, wishing for some Michelle Dennity time at yeah. this point, right? So, I mean, I think where I am now is some form of computers were a horrible mistake because, yeah. and, and I only say that mildly tongue-in-cheek, right? Our, in the United States, but also in other places, social contract does not cover this. Right, and so you can sit there, Liz, and scream all you want. You know, privacy is a right. I know. I'm, this not. is in response to the person right? who says and that so, I have nothing to yeah, hide. I know, and it doesn't matter. But but then what you have to but what you have to but what we have to guide Americans like like users, right? Is you cannot depend on your government to protect you because it is shown that it won't. And so here are the steps that you have to take, like not just for you now, but for you ten years from now. Right, because this data just sits, right, and so you have no idea how long it stays, and you have no idea where you're going to be, um, or where society is going to be ten years from now, right, and so you need to model your data trail with with suspicion as to the intent of people who have power over you, right, and and that's 
unfortunate and it's contrary to the promise of the internet as it was described when you know all this was being formed. And so what you have to do is not use test messaging and use signal. And you have to go read uncomfortable websites about how you have to be very careful about where your data is. And maybe today you don't post on Twitter because you know you're a little fucking aggravated right now. Maybe you don't want people to know what you actually think about what just happened. And so you just go off by yourself and be angry. Uh, or you're angry with people who it's safe to be around. This is, this is where we are. Uh, and, and the only responsible thing for, I think, a security person to do is to very solemnly say, you need to be very careful. You need to be careful in ways that almost certainly you are not thinking about right now. Because to be careful today is very hard. Because everything you do from just browsing Amazon for something, maybe you're browsing for a pregnancy test kit. Uh, and then maybe you crossed state lines to do something later. And then all of a sudden, there's evidence that you did something for a reason. Right? It's just simple acts that you think you never think about now are absolutely critical to say, all right, I'm not going to go put this information into a computer. And, and, you know, 10 years ago, you'd be a crackpot for thinking like that now. You know, if you're, if you're someone who's really concerned about this and you want to take action in a way that's more than, you know, just reading online resources or something like that, then I would really encourage you to vote, especially in your local elections. Um, midterms just happened for most of the country. Uh, there's another election coming up. Your, your participation in politics is really important, especially if you care about things like your right to privacy. You know, there are, there are many groups that you can get involved with on the local level that can really help you to get involved in a way that's actually going to make meaningful changes. There's, there's absolutely midterms coming up, yes. <sighs> so... Anyways, so swim in my yes, hole no, of I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on and and having that conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mitch. Uh, there are a lot of important things we need to talk about there that we'll continue talking about. Like I said, you're going to be having you have a, a booth talk at Black Hat. We have a blog post coming out, and I know there's been other interests. Uh, like I said, other other groups around our organization, and others that have been interested in your work on this so far. So we'll definitely keep talking about this and wouldn't be surprised with something we hear about again in the future on this podcast. But speaking of, Liz, I want to throw it to you next. Uh, this is my last recording because I have to go swim in a hole of darkness now and just going to go live there forever. That's, that's my next plan. Now, I'm moving on from, from the company, so uh, oddly enough, it's weird to have people who don't work at, at Talos record on Beers of Talos, so apparently I can't keep this gig. No, we wouldn't let Nigel keep it, so he certainly can't let you. Like, that's, you know, he wouldn't even go on any place else. He was just... So, uh, that does suck. You know, when you told us that, that was, uh, I was beginning to think that, like, you know, your chair on this show is, like, cursed, because, like, whoever's sitting there, like you, so... Matt brought up the point, like, maybe we're going about this the wrong way, and we should just, like, start filling that guest slot with, like, people we don't like, and then that way we don't have to say goodbye to people that we like all the time. No, or, or we just need to put somebody in there that is going to, like, be the curse breaker and, like, lift, lift the curse from that uh, chair there, because I guess technically Craig, well, Nigel, and then Craig, like, that was still leaving that third seat, like, you know, open there, uh, and then... Joel, and now you. So, like, that was, like, I guess that would be the same one. So we're going to have to figure that out. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to... We're going to have to, like, do, like, burn some sage over the third seat. Is that what we... Burn some sage, sacrifice a, a snorty. 
but we will we will absolutely miss you, Liz, and we'll still see you, uh, you know, at all the conferences and things, and and definitely have to have a conversation. Matt and I will be taking uh, our time at DefCon and Black Hat this year, rather, uh, to kind of figure out exactly what we're going to do. And, I was going to uh, say, so if you want to be the that. new Beers with Talos host, find Matt and find Bitch at Black Hat and DefCon. Go pitch to them. They're, you're their 30-second like reel of why they should be the next host. Do it. It'll be great. I will accept 30-second live pitches. Yeah, we'll 100% accept that. I will, I will do this. I will take this. If you want to be the next Beers with Talos host, have your 30-second elevator pitch ready. When you see Matt or I, let us have it on why you are the ultimate Beers with Talos host. No, no preface. Just launch yeah. into it. Just run up to us and just start. I want, I want, I want just a cold start, just right into it. Just no, hey, no, I want to pitch you. No, not just right into it. Just immediately start go. talking. I will take that. Uh, no, I think you know, Matt and I have talked about this, and we have a couple ideas uh, in play. And barring any spectacular sizzle reels delivered live, <laughs> Black Hat, you know, we have some ideas of what we want to do, of what's coming up next, in all seriousness. Uh, and as always, you know, the plan is to, to keep the podcast the way that it is right now. Like, we, you know, it always has a different flavor depending on who's hosting. Uh, but it's always been kind of the same thing. Like, you know, this is, you know, we want to keep this to space. It kind of feels like you're sitting down at the bar uh, and, and really talking through some issues with some people who are willing to explain it rather than talk about how smart they are. Uh, we were going to miss the hell out of you, though. All right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously this has been the highlight of my time at Talos. Uh, love you guys. Oh, thank you yeah. for joining us. Thank you for stepping in. Dude. This has been this has been so much fun. Like I'm I'm actually really sad. Like I was like instantly going through several stages of like that like cycle as soon as you told us you were leaving. I was like both like angry and in denial at the same time. It was like an angry denial. Like it, I was I was uh, an angry denial. Sure, that's a word. Still have not accepted this. Uh, I'm still pretty upset, but we'll uh, you know I'm sure I'll figure out some way to get over it. All right, let's go around the table. Let's uh, get a final closing thought and parting shot from everybody. Let's go. You were first. This yeah, is a yeah, yeah, Ashley, start us off. Let's see how happy it stays. I, think we, I don't think we mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast, but Ashley is a, uh, does like Olympic powerlifting as well. Yeah, that was a really weird. Olympic, yeah, Olympic Clearly, You found a way to make it perfectly clear that you didn't yeah. know what you were talking well, about. Well, I mean, it's all like the fin like, snack, like cleaning jerks and like getting like heavy shit over your head and... Yeah, use the words, Mitch. Yeah, close. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a powerlifter, actually. I do what's called Olympic weightlifting. So similar but different lifts. Um, powerlifting, deadlift, snatch, and, and bench press. And then what I do are these weird, archaic lifts, uh, the snatch and clean and jerk. So I guess that's a fun fact about me. I just competed at a meet, actually. It was a weekend or two ago. I compete pretty regularly. This is my off-season, but I'm prepping uh, for the national series that's coming back up in March. So it's good to, to compete at a local level, but it's always fun to have like the big, fancy national competition. So excited for that. Uh, I'm getting out of the office next week, and I'll be fishing. So that's my happy thought. Hiking, fishing, and having fun in the woods, which is my happy place. So let's go with Matt, and then we'll close off with Liz. You should check out a guy named Jacob Collier on uh, YouTube if you get a chance. The first obnoxious thing about Jacob you should know is that he's 
may be the smartest musician on the planet right now, and it's really annoying. Just, <laughs> and he's also one of those people that seems like super engaged and nice, so you just get angrier as you watch him just be an overall approachable nice guy and like also does incredible musical things. The thing that made me want to bring this up here is I was watching one of, so you know, NPR has those tiny desk concerts, yeah. which are very cool. So he's done two, but I was watching one where he filmed it himself. And so there was four of him in one room playing a song and 30, like, like this thing, like literally you start it and then 30 seconds in, he's playing percussion on one of his five Grammys that are sitting on top of his like keyboard. Like you do. And I'm like, Okay, you 27-year-old asshole with your five Grammys and your NPR little desk. I want to give him a hug. He, he's done this incredible version of Moon River. He's really big into, like, microtonal harmony and, like, he has perfect, perfect pitch where, like, he can tell you that's E, but it's 30 cents flat. Shut the hell up. And so you're, oh, yeah, no, it's, he's, it's that kind of, like, oh, come on, dude. He could have been such an asshole, and he just seems so nice. And, like, his concerts are all about, like, getting the audience. Like, he'll, he'll divide up the audience. He'll have them, like, harmonizing with each other, and he makes, like, net new music just out of the crowds. It's really beautifully annoying. And so I've watched hours of Jacob Collier content, and he's, uh, he's best friends with Herbie Hancock. Like, so they hang out, and they talk music on one video that's on there. So it's, it's really obnoxious. Oh, my. Go enjoy it. We'll have to get a link to that in the show notes. He's, he seems a beautiful person. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll grab something for you. Liz, for real, uh, parting thought, I, closing I, shot. For the happiness uh, in between breaks, I am fleeing America, uh, which I think is probably a wise thing, but I'm not going to someplace that'll be better because I'm going to the UK. But it's, which is sad. I'm like, well, it's kind of better. But at least the, and thanks to inflation, the pound is way down. Like for the first time, it's yeah. going to be like, it's great timing for us to go. Uh, we're not going anywhere. The heat wave is hitting. It's like 60 degrees. So I'm trying to figure out jackets because I can't go outside my house right now without collapsing into a puddle. So I'm going to a four-day punk rock festival in an English beach town, which you know will just be absurd. Yeah, it's going to be four days of absolute absurdity with some of my best friends and watching some of like my favorite bands of all time like going back like 30 years like like how are these I, I'm just looking to like walkers for people getting on stage you know like someone actually you having, send me the lineup yeah. some of them are pretty like they're, they're, they're some pretty heavy hitters some, they're heavy hitters but they're in their like 70s but there's some yeah, newer ones yeah. too so yeah that's uh, what I'm gonna be doing between gonna I think, and then abandon your friends on the podcast got it cool yep. thanks Liz well, I know Jesus. I know um, but I think there's one last thing to say though right if we're done Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you're... Uh, <laughs> one last time. One last time. <laughs> Come at me, Chuck. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, stay safe, stay secure. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.